Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome to The Inner Life here today, August 24th, the Feast of St. Bartholomew the Apostle, and so glad to have you listening to this hour of spiritual direction here on Relevant Radio. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, and do you remember many of your dreams? When you wake up in the morning, can you recall what was happening in your dreams? Or is it only an occasional remembrance of what you were dreaming, only the ones where you wake up in the middle of them, or when the dream, it was so vivid that it stuck with you? over the course of the next several days. Um, Now, I don't usually remember many of my dreams. My wife, on the other hand, she remembers all kinds of dreams that she has, or at least a portion of her dreams, almost every night, it seems like. I probably, I recall one maybe once a week or every two weeks, something like that. So it's not regular for me, but my favorite dreams... Uh, I've talked with our kids about this. You know, what's your favorite dream? And it seems the same for them. My favorite dream, from the time I was a little boy up to the present, it's where I can fly. There's something just magical, so wonderful about discovering that I can fly in my dreams. I've had other dreams where things seem to be going wrong. Something bad is up ahead in the dream, or it seems like we're heading toward disaster. But in those dreams, some of them... I find that I have this awareness that I actually am dreaming and I can somewhat control the outcome or the direction of the dream. There are other dreams that I, I think it's just the classic kind of one. You know, everyone seems to have it where you wind up someplace in public, school, work, wherever it is, in nothing but your underwear. Uh, I, I even had one of those dreams a few months ago. But the ones that probably stick with me, and I'm guessing for you, for all of us, the dreams that stay with us the longest are the scary dreams. Some of them you might even classify if they're scary enough. They get the label of being a nightmare. And every one of my nightmares that I remember throughout my life, they all end the same way. They all end with me waking up in a panic, and I realize that I was only dreaming, and that I have to take some time to try and calm myself so I can eventually fall back asleep. That's kind of that uh, uh, recurrence there. Anytime there's that stressful, scary, frightening dream, that nightmare kind of dream. One dream that I do remember, and I don't know if I would qualify it as an actual nightmare, but it, it had that definite effect of waking me up in the middle of the night. And this was only within the last year or two that I had this dream. And in this dream, I don't know what happened prior to the end pretty close to the end of when I woke up. All I really remember from this dream was that I found myself on a wide platform. And this platform is moving forward. And it was, the platform itself was probably, it was like the flatbed on the back of a semi-truck, maybe five or six times as long though. 
and probably a good 10 times as wide. Very, very long and wide platform. Now, there's no truck that's pulling it, but it's moving forward. And ahead of the platform that I was on, there's another platform identical to what I was standing on. And behind, there was another platform. And all of these platforms, hundreds of people, I was surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of people, all of us on these platforms. I didn't know anyone. We were all strangers to each other, but we were standing there squeezed in together. And the platform, like I say, it was moving forward, not fast, but at a moderate speed, maybe 10 or 15 miles an hour. And it was moving us forward through this kind of road that was set down in a trench. And the platform that we were on, it spanned the entire width of the trench so that there were these kind of concrete walls on either side of us. And we're all just kind of going along, standing, you know, a little bit of shuffling or moving around, but we're standing on these platforms as it's moving us forward. No one seems to know where we're headed. But soon the road that we were on, it began to descend. And as we began this descent, as the ground started going into this decline, well then, the ceiling overhead, we went into this tunnel and the sky starts getting blocked out and the the ceiling it was made of the same sort of concrete as the walls on either side of the platform so very very thick concrete that's all around us now and as we're entering this tunnel we're not very far into it and up ahead the people on the platform in front of us they start to panic they start to scream and to yell and they're scrambling and they're trying to push back but there were too many of us all sandwiched in there together so it didn't do any good for any of them to try and push back against those of us who were behind them because we were all hemmed in by the people who were behind us. And then I saw what the people up ahead saw, what had them so panicked. As we were descending into this tunnel, up ahead, there was water. And as we kept descending, soon we'd be pushed under the water level. And the ceiling, along with the road or the floor that we're, you know, floating or traveling or riding on, whatever it was in my dream, the ceiling is moving down at that same sort of decline so that pretty soon we're going to be pushed under that water level. The ceiling's going down there. We're going, we're going to be trapped. And very quickly we would find ourselves going deeper and deeper until we're fully submerged. So in my dream... I started looking around really quickly. I'm looking to my left. I'm looking to my right. I'm trying to see if there's any way that I could possibly get out of this situation. And very, very quickly, I come to the realization that there's nothing I can do. There's no hope. I am stuck. And this is it. And I was moving forward and the water starting to come up over my feet. And I was breathing faster and faster. You know how you get when <laughs> you're really, really nervous and there's that anticipation that I'm going to be facing my death in the next couple of minutes. But in my dream, in that dream, as I knew that I was in my last moments before I would drown, I started to say that simple prayer that we pray at the end of the, the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Jesus, I trust in you. And I began saying that over and over. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. And I was saying this as the water level starts coming up higher and higher, as 
I see the ceiling that's coming closer and closer to where I am and where the water and the ceiling meet. Jesus, I trust in you. And I was starting to be forced under the water. And that's when I woke up. And so in the darkness of our room, I'm there. My heart is racing. But my wife is asleep in bed next to me, oblivious to anything that's happening with me, oblivious to the fact that I'm even awake. So I took a couple of deep breaths to calm myself and ended up trying to go back to sleep. And I think I eventually did. But, you know, I tell that story, I hope when I finally do face the end of my life, whenever that may come, that I really can do exactly what I did in that dream, that I can leave this life saying simply a prayer just like that, Jesus, I trust in you. But, you know, even as I was praying that prayer in that dream, where death was imminent, where I was, I was there face to face with my own mortality, I was still scared. That, that prayer it brought me some peace, but there was still that fear of dying. And that's a pretty universal experience, fear of death. But as Christians, you know, we should have a different outlook on death because death is not the end. It's not even close to the end. And so did, today here on The Inner Life, we want to discuss how we should look at death, how we can let go of our fears, and we can have faith, we can have hope in what lies ahead after this life. And helping us to do that today, one of our regular spiritual directors, Father Chris Walsh, he's a priest in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. He's the pastor of St. Raymond of Penyafort Catholic Church in Philadelphia. Uh, Father Walsh, so glad to have you back here on The Inner Life today. Um, that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> those scary moments of dreams can see, seem so real in the moment. Uh, any dreams that you have that have just really stuck with you for years and years? You know, I'm one of those people, Josh. First of all, it's great to be back with you. Um, I, I don't remember most of my dreams. I know I have them, and I'll have these little inklings. I certainly have had those similar to yours, the ones of falling which I, I, a psychologist has told me has to do with, with anxiety. I've also been blessed with dreams of uh, both of my parents have died and, and, and please God are in heaven and have had dreams of them since their death, mm -hmm. um, assuring me of, of their, their well-being and their, and their being with God. Um, and, and they were dreams of great comfort that I, I think I sort of hold on to. But most of my dreams, I don't know. Yeah, well, the comfort, I actually did get comfort out of this dream because I, I remember hearing years ago that um, if somebody is hypnotized, that they won't do something that goes contrary to kind of their moral nature. If they are not willing to steal or to cheat or to murder, that in hypnosis, the one who's hypnotizing them couldn't suggest that they do something that they wouldn't do when they're fully conscious, fully awake. So having that dream of my own where when I'm faced with death, I'm saying, Jesus, I trust in you. I thought, oh, well, I, <laughs> I hope that really speaks to the, the yeah. core of my being, that I really will face death with that sort of an attitude, uh, uh, regardless of how it comes. But uh, that fear of death, as I was thinking about it today, knowing we're going to talk about this, I was saying, okay, where does that come from? You know, death is a part of life for every human. It's, it's a certainty. We're all going to die at some point. So why is there such fear around the, the concept of, of dying? Is it, and my thought is, is it something deep inside of us where by virtue of being created in the image of God, 
that we were originally created and designed to live forever, somehow our soul or our unconsciousness, it knows that death is really not how we were originally created or intended to be? I think there's certainly something to do with that, Josh. And this, you know, we, we talk about the, the, the will to live, the thriving to live. It's this natural thing, right? So if someone falls into a pool, their reaction is to get out of the pool and to be able to breathe, right? Uh, if someone's put into a place of danger, their, their natural inclination is to fight to get to a place of safety. Why? Because we, we, we want to live. It, it's a natural instinct. As a matter of fact, when someone doesn't have that, it's actually a concern for whether they're their mental health or their mental wellness, if they've got a, a will to die. That, that's actually seen by most in society as an unhealthy thing. So I think we start with that, that we want to live. Why? Well, because we like our life, most of us, right? We, we like the food we eat. We like our stuff. We like our books. We like our comfortable seat on the couch or you know, in a recliner. Uh, we like our vacations. We like the music we listen to. And and that's a that's a it's a plus and a minus, right? Because we we're comfortable with these things, but sometimes they can become attachments, right? That's the traditional religious life. The vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience give us a a sense of that need for detachment because I'm not holding on to these things, right? The religious life is supposed to show us what life can be like in heaven when I don't have stuff or exclusive relationships. So I think it's two of those things. Like we do like what we have and we do will to live, which are both good things. But I think the other part, Josh, none of us have died. <laughs> right, you know, there's we, the unknown. We, we, we fear the unknown, right? I mean, I'm kind of afraid of going skydiving. If I had done it a few times, I'd probably be less afraid, right? Uh, haunted house. You know, we take our youth group sometimes to the haunted house. Well, the first time I went to this one haunted house, I was, I was scared horribly. I was afraid. But now I know the antics, right? So I know it's going to happen. I'm not as afraid. I can walk through because I know coming around this corner, the guy's going to jump off a ladder or whatever, or an amusement ride, right? If I've been on the roller coaster a few times, I'm not as afraid. And so the same with death. None of us have, have come back. Now, the one who has come back, Christ, he tells us not to fear, right? But it, but it is a natural thing because we haven't been through it. On the, on the more virtuous side, um, I think it's normal that we would be somewhat. I was getting ready for the show, talking last night with a couple and I was talking about the topic, and the guy immediately said, well, of course I'm afraid. And I said, really, why? And he said, because I'm going to be judged, and I'm not ready to mm. be judged. So I think that that's part of it in our humility, that there's a healthy fear, that healthy fear of the Lord, a gift of the Holy Spirit, that sort of needs to get us ready. So I think there's many reasons, Josh, for why we're afraid, and some of them, you know, or all of them are pretty reasonable. As you're sharing that story of the couple you're talking with, that man uh, saying, yeah, of course I'm afraid. I'm not ready to be judged. That's somebody who seems to be very aware of himself. Um, but that also then <laughs> raises the immediate question, what do we need to do then so that we are at a place where we can say, okay, come what may, whenever God wants to call me home, I am ready to stand before the judgment. Now, I may, I may have done some things I'm ashamed of, but at least at that moment when I meet death, I won't have the fear of, oh, what am I walking into for the judgment? My Jesus mercy, right? I, I was walking right. on Sunday afternoon in a large cemetery near us, and I, and I always marvel, you know, we think the divine mercy is something very new to our time, because of St. Faustina and, and the popularity and since the pontificate of John Paul II. 
But it was interesting looking at tombstones from the early 1900s that almost every third one had uh, my Jesus mercy written on it. Um, and certainly before the devotion was known, excuse me, in, in, in Philadelphia or the United States, but that confidence in the mercy of God, in a merciful Jesus. Yeah, how do we get ready for that point, Josh? I think that's what each of us are striving to do. I think that's why people are listening to relevant radio. It's why people are going to Mass and trying to practice a sacramental life and, and going to confession regularly so that we're constantly overcoming sin um, and, and seeking virtue so that we will be found worthy, so that when the Lord looks at us, we're ready. Right. Well, it's also kind of this paradox where we can do really nothing on our own that would ever merit that we should be able to enter into heaven. It, it all is reliant upon the mercy, the grace of God. But at the same time, we can't just say, okay, I'm going to rely on God, and then we don't put forth any effort. There has to be that effort on our part. So there's kind of a, I can't do anything, but I have to do something that comes together in this moment. It's that cooperation with the grace that God is giving. We don't save ourselves, but we do have to cooperate. Um, you know, our, our, the way our parish is set up here at St. Raymond's in Philadelphia is, um, like many city parishes, our school and our church are physically connected. And so our kids are regularly kind of cutting through hallways in the church to go down to the cafeteria or to go down to where the art room is and things like this. And so oftentimes we have funerals. And so the kids are seeing the hearse or they're seeing the casket being brought in. And it leads to some wonderful conversations with, uh, you know, the kids about this and about death in general. And uh, I remember some years ago, a second, third, fourth grader, something on the lower grades, they, they asked, what, what, what's going to happen when we die? Like, what, what really happens? Like, what are we asked? Right? Because they're thinking like students, right? What's the question? What's the test? Um, and in the moment, I just said, you know, I, I think what Jesus asks us is, did you love? Did you love? Because all the commandments are wrapped up in love, love of God, love of neighbor, love of right. self. And, and so what are we able to answer? Right? And, and one of the girls hollers out, and you can't lie, right? <laughs> I said, no. At that moment where you're standing before God, you can't lie. <laughs> um, and, and I think the reality is, why is there sometimes a lingering fear? Why is there a nervousness about being judged? Because people of goodwill, people who have a, a healthy, really developed conscience, we realize that sometimes we don't love. Sometimes in big ways, we cut off people. Sometimes the way we speak about people is unloving. Um, our selfishness is, is unloving. Our attitude at the grocery store or on the highway is unloving. And again, there's obviously gradations of sin, but, but I'm not loving the way that Christ commands me to love. And so I, I want to strive for that. I want to strive for that, which is why our senior years, and it's so beautiful, you know, I, I think there's a, a correlation between, you know, our, some of our seniors being able to get to daily mass and devotions more frequently. Certainly their schedule and their time allows it, but I think part of it is some of them have had near-death experiences, and so they, they want to be purified. They want to grow in holiness. Um, they want to be ready so they can say, yes, Lord, I did love you. Hmm. Our spiritual director today on The Inner Life, Father Chris Walsh, a priest in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. And we're talking about the fear of death, how we can look at death, especially in light of our faith in Christ. What has helped you to let go of fear in your life? How have you been able to live your life knowing that every day is that gift from God, but that something better does await you? How have you been able to live out that love so that you can face the end with that hope 
Maybe you are struggling with fear. Maybe there's something that's really difficult in your life and you're saying, yeah, if I were to die right now, I don't know. I don't know. I think I would be really, really scared. And you'd like a little advice, a little encouragement? Well, that's why we have this hour of the inner life and our spiritual directors join us. And you can call in and talk with Father Chris Walsh. 888-914-9149 is our phone number here into the studio. 888-914-9149. You can also email us at innerlife at relevantradio.com. And we'll continue our conversation in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond, our Spiritual Director for the Our Father Chris Walsh priest in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, pastor of St. Raymond of Penafort Catholic Church there in Philly. And we're talking about death, how we can have uh, not fear, but how we can look at death with that hope, with that faith in Christ, and know that death does not mean the end. And our studio line is open at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. I also want to say a, a quick thank you for everyone who donated last week during our pledge drive. And uh, we heard from over 14,800 people who donated, helped us go over our goal of $2.7 million. And just because of the devastating earthquake there in Haiti, uh, we had said that uh, 10% of whatever came in during our pledge drive, it was going to go to Haiti. Well, we uh, had such tremendous response. Oh, $3,200,000 that came in. So we're going to be able to send about $323,000 uh, just to help with the relief efforts there in Haiti. And you're a part of that. You're a part of continuing the work of Relevant Radio. So again, thank you so much for being so generous last week and helping uh, with, with uh, just your prayers and your contributions during our pledge drive. If for some reason you missed the pledge drive, of course, we always are able to take your donation and any amount that you donate is tax deductible and you can always donate by calling our uh, our, our, our main line which is not the studio it's 877-291-0123 or you can give online at relevantradio.com or through the relevant radio app so again thank you so much for uh, your support of relevant radio and of course just being extra generous so that we could give that extra amount to the relief work that's happening there in Haiti. Uh, Father Chris, as we continue our conversation here, we talked about kind of the aspect of fear, of looking at the end of our lives, looking at the judgment, how we can live our lives so that maybe we're a little more prepared. But another aspect that we all seem to share in our outlook on death alongside fear is sadness, you know, especially when somebody dies young or maybe if there's an accident or tragic circumstances. And I think 
it's easier. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in you know my family. When we bury a parent or a grandparent after they've lived a long life, if they've lived into their mid or late 80s, into their 90s, you know, even in those deaths, there's a little bit of sadness, but it's not nearly to the same degree that we have when somebody dies young. But sadness and fear, they seem to be these two feelings or these two emotions that are most commonly associated with death. We even see Jesus himself when Lazarus has died. And he knows, he says that Lazarus died so that God the Father could be glorified. So that sorrow when someone dies, do you think that's, that's from God? Is that just kind of a natural byproduct of us knowing that, yeah, we're going to miss that person. Hopefully we'll see them again. But, or it, where does that sadness come from? Is it just from missing the person or is there something deeper you think that's happening there for us? Yeah, great question, and and certainly as a priest, they are the the, the difficult, difficult moments. And, and five years ago today, we lost one of our kindergartners in our school after a battle with brain cancer. And you know, sadly, you know, bury so many people who die from violence in in Philadelphia, and and it is tough. And and the questions of why people die by violence by an accident easier answer than you know cancer that afflicts a child. Um, but sadness comes at any point, right? It, it's not a great source of consolation to the 90-year-old husband when his wife dies that, well, she had a long life. Well, right, I'm still sad. Right. Yeah. And I think that scripture passage that you cite, you know, that Jesus himself wept, right? I think it's the shortest verse in scripture. Jesus wept when he found out, right? And he wasn't able to be there as well. So there's a little bit of regrets probably on the part of Jesus. He experiences that because he wants to experience the fullness of human emotions, so being sad at the death of a loved one doesn't say that we're weak, doesn't mean that we don't have enough faith. It's just, it is what it is. We're sad. Why? Because we're going to miss people. When Jesus went to Jerusalem, he liked going to the house at Bethany with Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus. He liked sitting around and, and eating baked fish with Lazarus. He probably enjoyed drinking a glass of wine with Lazarus and talking with him and laughing with him and hiking with him and praying with him, right? Now Lazarus is dead. So he's sad. He's sad. Now, Jesus knows what he's going to do. He's also sad because he's seeing his friends sad, right? That great Christian value of empathy and compassion. We suffer with those who are suffering. So even if you're not particularly close to the person, right, it's someone else in the parish or in the community who dies tragically. I heard the story. It's been on my heart and mind and in my prayer. The, the father who was down in Tennessee with the two children in his arms and the, and the floodwaters came through and and he lost, he lost hold of the two children, and they, they died. I don't know that man. I don't know their names, but I'm sad, right? I, I never met them in life, but I'm sad. And it's a, it's a normal and natural human response. I would say it's a healthy emotional response that Christ himself experienced. And what does it remind us of? What good can come from that? Our own vulnerability, right? And, and, and that while we cannot always have consolation here, we will have consolation from Christ. And particularly for a parent who loses a child, for a spouse who loses someone, for children who lose a parent, um, you know, we, it, it gives us that longing, that hope that we will be together again. And, and that can't be lessened. Does it take away the pain? No, it lessens, though, over time. And, and I'm filled with the hope that we will be together again. We were never meant to live here forever. Right. Right? In the original plan, before original sin, we were not meant to live here forever. We don't know how we would have gone up to heaven. Um, but death would have been different. 
death wouldn't have had the sense of finality and pain um, that, that sin brings with it. One of the gifts that we lose because of concupiscence and original sin. So if that's, if that, that, uh, sorrow that we experience, if that's healthy, if it's natural for us to fear death. But if we have faith in Christ, if we've been baptized, if we are in a state of grace, then ideally we should have less fear, at least for ourselves when it comes to death. What, what do you think can help us switch this kind of mindset where we can look at death not with so much fear. You know, like you mentioned, there's still fear of the unknown, and that might be natural, but that it's not fear that paralyzes us necessarily, but that we do, we are able to have that trust, that hope in Jesus, and look ahead toward death without being so afraid. Oh, it looks like we just lost Father Chris, so we're going to try and reconnect with him here. But again, I'm going to uh, mention to you that if you have any questions on death, if you have, uh, if it's something where you have lived your life and you used to be afraid, but now you've been able to let go of that fear, how have you been able to live your life knowing that every day is that gift from God and that something better does await you and you might have that healthy fear, but not that paralyzing fear. Maybe you are struggling with that fear when it comes to thinking about death, when it comes to thinking about the end of your life. And you'd like a little assistance, a little encouragement. Uh, you have a question for Father Walsh. Our studio line, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And uh, Father, it looks like we have you back on the line here. Yes, sorry about that. That's, no, no, I, so I don't know if you, if you kind of heard my question. So I I'll did. Just, okay. I, I, I think so, the, you know, I, I, in getting ready for today, just kind of reading some, some different things online, and came across a homily that, that Pope Francis gave back in July of, of 2018, which is a very profound thing, and I remember reading it, you know, three, four years ago when it, when it came out, in which he said, you know, it, it's natural to fear death, but it's not rational for the Christian. So I think that's an interesting thing. And he says, rather, rather than fear death, we should fear a heart that's hardened by evil. You know, and, and I think that is a different thing, right? It, it's, we always want to look at things in their totality, right? So Paul, on the one hand, the Roman says, the wages of death is sin, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So, so, so Paul, I think, strikes the balance for us that I'm aware of death, I'm aware of the pain of death. Um, however, I'm going to make the choices that in Christ and with Christ I can conquer. Um, you know, so again, you know, later on in Romans, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die in the Lord. So whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. Uh, I serve a mostly African-American community, and, and they often refer to death as passing over. Passing over. And, and I think it affirms, I think it's the second uh, preface for, for the funeral mass. For the faithful, life does not end, it merely changes. And I think that's where the value of our faith comes in, Josh, in that death does not have to be the finality that it is for non-believers. Right? For, for non-believers, it's over. And if they didn't accomplish all that they wanted, then there's a sense that this is over and perhaps I'm a failure. But, but for us, it doesn't end. 
As you were talking about St. Paul writing in his letter to the Romans and, you know, the whether we live, whether we die, I think he even talks about whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. He also, in his letter to the Philippians, one part that I always come back to is where he talks about life for me, life is Christ and death is gain. And he talks about if I go on living here, it means fruitful labor for God's kingdom. And I don't know which one I should choose. He's kind of torn because he knows that I want to go to heaven. That's where I really want, that's my ultimate destination because that's far better than being here. But I remain here because it's for the benefit of Christ and his kingdom. And so I, I, I think it'd be good to maybe just talk for a moment too about finding that balance we don't want to we don't want to have so much fear that we're paralyzed and it detracts from us being able to live out our faith but we also don't want to go to some other extreme we don't want to go to the opposite end where we we're inviting death or have some morbid fascination with death or expectancy of death uh, how, how do we navigate so that we have that healthy proper understanding of looking ahead you know, this is not, we were not created to be here on earth, like you said, Father, always for all time. But then also knowing that God has us here for a reason, and we don't want to have an attitude where we, we cut short what God has already planned for us. Exactly, exactly. Again, as I've said many times on the show, um, I think when we look to the monastic life, we get insights on how we, who are not monastics, should be living the Christian life. And, you know, because the monastics have been, you know, serious about this business of getting to heaven and helping others get to heaven. And, and, and one of the things when you visit a monastery that you kind of notice that sort of creeps people out a little bit is usually how close the dead monks or nuns are kept. <laughs> so that where, where the monks and nuns recreate, it's often within eyesight of the, of, of the cemetery, the monastic cemetery. And, and again, many parishes across the country, especially in rural parts of America, you know, the, the church sits in the middle of the cemetery. And, and that wasn't accidental, right? Because um, it gives us a chance each and every day to be reminded that death is coming, right? Uh, here at my parish, the founding pastor is buried on the front lawn. And I walk past him. I'm not going to be buried there, but I'm going to be buried somewhere. And so it's a, it's a constant reminder of our mortality. The one daughter of St. Paul uh, started uh, sort of a rehab a few advents ago of the uh, memento mori, right? Uh, pra the practices of keeping a skull or an image of a skull on your, on your desk. It was very popular, especially with the Desert Fathers. So we need to have something that reminds us of that. And I remind people that when we go to funerals, it's one of the values of coming to a funeral, praying for the soul of the person, praying for the family, pledging support to the family, but also facing our own mortality. So on the one hand, there's that in the monastic life and hopefully in our lives. But on the other hand is, but I'm not dead today. <laughs> so, so today I'm going to live life to the fullest. Today I'm going to pursue virtue. Today I'm going to pursue goodness. Today I'm going to you know, enjoy flowers and, and have a nice meal and go for a walk and, and get some good work done and, and, and listen to relevant radio um, and, and the things that, that, that make my life more full and, and more joyful. So I'm not going to sit around holding the skull all the time thinking, oh, I've got to be ready to die, i got to be ready to die, that I'm not living. And we see that sometimes with people who become crippled by their grief, 
right? I, I just don't want to live anymore. I just don't want to live anymore. It's not healthy, right? And, and sadly, it's it's depression. It's 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 their loneliness. I get it. Yeah, right. But it's but it's not the way to live because we do have to want to go on living because life is good. Life is good. So we want to be patient with those who are crippled in their grief or in their loss. Uh, but for us as Christians, it shouldn't be. Oh, I long for the day of death. I long for the day of death. Well, well, there's work to be done while you're alive. There's sanctification to happen while you're alive. And so make the most of today. When you get to death. You know, okay, we'll deal with that. Francis de Sales has a, in his uh, advice on penance and introduction to the devout life, he talks about the reason why we shouldn't do extreme penances, because all it's going to do is slow us down uh, as we get older, and we won't be able to live and serve and enjoy life as full as we should because of harsh penances done in our youth. Um, and it's going to make us rely on other people. It's a separate topic, but the idea, yeah, yeah we, we know we're going to die, and we should remind ourselves, the examination of conscience, and if you pray some part of night prayer, uh, every night, right? You know, Lord, now you let your servant go in peace, right? I mean, th- it anticipates death every night in the night prayer of the church. And so again, the wisdom that we can find in our in our long and, and beautiful tradition. Mm, that's so beautiful. Just always having that focus. Be ready when God calls you home, but as long as he hasn't called you home, just enjoy the life that he's allowing you to live. I, I, I love that, Father. Our spiritual director, Father Chris Walsh, priest in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Today we're talking about how we can look at death without having that fear, especially that fear that just kind of stops us, paralyzes us. What has helped you to let go of fear in your life? How have you been able to live your life? Keeping the knowledge that, yes, of course, death could come at any time, but this day is a gift from God and I want to live it to the fullest. Maybe you are struggling with that fear and you'd like to call into the program 888-914-9149, And Father, uh, when we come back here in just a moment, let's, let's talk about how we can deal with the grief, with the loss, uh, when we do have someone who uh, ends up dying, someone we know, and we're still left here. Uh, we'll, we'll continue the conversation here in just a moment. Again, our phone number, 888-914-9149. And this is Relevant Radio, and you're listening on the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back. I'm Josh Raymond, our Spiritual Director, Father Chris Walsh. He's a priest in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, and today we're talking about how we can face death with the right attitude, especially being followers of Christ, being Christians, being Catholics. How do we face death without having overwhelming fear or sadness? And we're taking your phone calls as well at 888-914-9149, And Father, before we had our short little break right there, you were talking about sometimes you'll see people who, I, I think we all see this, where people after they lose a loved one, they are dealing with that sadness, with the grief, you know, the depression, the loneliness there. 
as a priest, you're someone who is there with people when they face death. You're called in to administer uh, the sacraments, last rites. After death, you're involved in the funeral, celebrating the funeral mass. You might be involved in with, you know, the different planning. Seeing people in these moments, in these different situations where they are burying a loved one, what stands out to you as people deal with the death, deal with the grief, the loss, and allows them to move through it? Maybe some that are able to process it better than others. What, what, what are some of the common threads there? Sure. I think uh, this could be a show unto itself, right? Uh, right. Helping people understand how to approach death and, and even plan funerals. I think, you know, we, we all know that the, the number of unchurched Catholics continues to increase. And particularly where you see that is around the death of a loved one. So they know mom's Catholic or dad's Catholic, and so they want to honor that, but they haven't been in church in years, and they don't know our rituals, and they don't know our planning, and they don't understand why they can't play dad's uh, favorite Barry Manilow song for, for communion or something, right? So it requires a lot of patience. But even before the death, right, and this is why the local parish uh, is so key, and, um, you know, many of our listeners probably involved with Eucharistic ministry, and, and they're the front lines. If they're bringing Holy Communion to those who are homebound, and they see that the person's decline is happening, to try to get the priest in. Um, and and because it's so key, and it's, it's in generations past, it was it was known, it was it was expected, but now sadly it's not. The family doesn't even call. Um, you find out after the fact, and and so folks are missing out on those final sacraments, sadly. But when death happens, I think we have to look at it from the full human experience. Um, I think physically, the, the value of being there, the value of physically being present for us as Christians to be with other people. Uh, I read a beautiful article the other day about a priest out in Pittsburgh who's celebrating his 90th birthday this past weekend, and um, he's still working, still very active, and he spends a chunk of time every day visiting the, the dying or those who have just lost someone. And uh, he talks about that value, and that was the influence of his vocation was a priest coming to his house to visit his grandmother as she was dying, and then after she had died, praying with her body. And that was the birth of his vocation. So, mm. um, Almost it, it, like a spiritual hospice kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. But physically present. So I think, again, in days gone by, this was more natural. Now we, we, we Uber eats mood, food to someone's house. But what we're missing out on is the value of going there with, with the lasagna, with the casserole, with the cake, you know, being physically present to people. Um, in a busy world, it, it, it's a value. I think second, emotional, and that's over time, not just at the funeral, not just the week of the funeral, right, right. But, but following up with people, especially if you don't see them at Mass and you know a spouse just died. Try to get physically close to them. Secondly, emotionally, like ask how they are. Ask about the person. Don't be afraid, right? We believe the person lives on. They still have a name. <laughs> ask stories, right? Uh, again, don't if they seem like they don't want to talk about it, then push back. But give them the space that they can talk about their feelings. Um, you know, it, it, we had an interesting conversation here at the parish where we were talking about, you know, what are the needs of people? And, and one of the things that, that we've come back to is, like, you know, we've never had our own grief sort of support group here because some of the larger parishes around us had them. And so we would just kind of send people there. Um, but but they sort of dropped off over the years. I think probably what happens with many ministries, someone dies and no one was trained to be their successor or something like that. But there was a time where many parishes had grief support groups. I think it's it's crucial because then you could invite the person to come with you, and you go with them perhaps 
if if they're un, you know uncomfortable. If it's someone particularly close to us, a family member, spouse, a parent, you know, are they eating? Do you, do you notice changes of habits? And again, not being afraid to to bring it up, to talk about it. Um, we are our brother's keeper. We are our sister's keeper. And, and God wants us to be present. When, when Jesus found out about Lazarus, what did he go do? He went to Martha and Mary, and there's some of the greatest scripture passages about death and hope, but he goes to physically be present, right? And, and the one sister calls him out, Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Right. All right, well, I'm here now. <laughs> I'm here now, and I'm going to do something. And, and again, I think that becomes a model for us. Christ, he didn't say, oh, well, I can't do anything for Lazarus. No, he went. And he often went to the homes of those who have died. Now, he's raising people up. We don't necessarily have the ability to do that, but we can be physically present and, I think, support and encourage and pray with people. The chaplet of divine mercy. You know, if they're worried about the loved one's salvation, pray for that, right? Entrust them to the Mother of God. Uh, have Masses offered and go with them to the Mass and explain what this is. And if the person plays God is already in heaven, well, great, then God will share the grace with this person as they grieve. Well, and that, yeah, because that is a difficult situation right there. If somebody has a loved one, a spouse, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, and if that person didn't appear to be practicing their faith, but they die, then that can be a really scary prospect, um, probably lead to more fear, more sadness over the death of that person. So praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet, having Mass said for their soul, uh, anything else you might recommend for somebody in that situation where they're just worried about the eternal destiny of someone they love? Again, I think that finding a devotion that works for that person... (laughs) Um, you know, and, and, and a confidence in the mercy of God. Uh, yeah, um, that mercy, that's <laughs> that right there. Because, uh, I, I don't know, I, I think a lot of times it's easy for us to have this idea of God as being a, well, I told you you shouldn't do that, and you did you did it anyway, and so I got right. you. But, but God loves us so much, and he offers, I, I love just that image of our sins are yet but a drop in the ocean of God's mercy. We, we can't comprehend it. We'll never comprehend it. Uh, one last thing. Let, let's talk for a moment just about a happy death. We're, we're here in this year of St. Joseph. He's the patron saint of a happy death. And a happy death, every time I've heard it, I'm a convert, so coming into the church, yeah. praying for a happy death, it sounds, I mean, it's, it sounds better than a sad death, but it, it does sound like a bit of an oxymoron. Yeah. So what are we actually asking for when we pray for that happy death? Great question, Josh. And can you imagine me as a you know seven year old praying that prayer, the prayer to Saint Joseph for happy death with my aging grandparents? Oh thinking, yeah. You know, why, why do they want me to die? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's a couple things. Again, grace builds on nature. So certainly one of the happy happiest parts of death is that we can hear Jesus say to us, "Well done, good and faithful servant. Come enjoy the paradise I've prepared for you." But as I accompany families through this. Gosh, I think the grace of a happy death includes like that there's someone there at your side when you die. Um, you know, we have a lot of nursing homes in the parish that I visit where a lot of people are alone a lot of time. And so we're blessed with so many wonderful women and men of the parish who have gotten involved in nursing home ministry just trying to be there, especially when the folks are at that last point. And so if you know someone's dying, that's one of the great pains of this COVID epidemic and the closures of facilities, right, that we couldn't be there. That we couldn't be there. And so I think one of the graces of happy death is being present with people. If you know people from church who are dying, family members who are dying, go. Bring them flowers now. 
Go, tell them the difference that their life made in your life. Go, ask them to pray for you when they get to heaven. Uh, if you're particularly close to the person, uh, help them be reconciled with maybe family members who they're not reconciled with. Right? Have that brother or sister who hasn't talked to dad in 15 years come home and say, look, you, you got to do this, right? Even if it's over phone or FaceTime or whatever, oftentimes people are lingering, hoping that there can be some reconciliation. Give forgiveness to people, right? That's, we don't just want the mercy of God. We want to be reconciled with other people. Try to get the priest there for confession, uh, certainly. Um, because, you know, again, as, as you shared at the top of the hour with the, your dream of being able to cry out for, for the mercy of God, we want people to be so aware of that. Try to put images. One of the things I learned from missionaries at charity in their hospices back in the, the, the height of the AIDS epidemic, I mean, the person had a beautiful image of divine mercy, you know, whenever they looked up. And, and I think there is a value in that of a happy death, of surrounding the person with pictures of loved ones, but also of our Lord who's saying, come home to me. Mm, yeah, and you know, I've heard so many different stories from people talking about a parent or a grandparent or somebody that they knew very well who was nearing death. You know, maybe they were just getting old and it was very apparent, or maybe they were dealing with some sort of disease. But yeah, that praying with someone, you know, whether it's praying the rosary, whether it's praying the chaplet of divine mercy, and uh, I've, I've even heard, uh, you know, Drew share many emails uh, in the afternoon from people who say, yeah, we were praying for a happy death for my mom or my dad. And we prayed the chaplet listening to relevant radio and mm -hmm. they passed away, you know, five minutes after we prayed the chaplet and just yeah. knowing that we're entrusting their soul to God's mercy. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, our spiritual director, Father Chris Walsh. And Father, uh, down to our last couple of minutes here, could I ask you to offer all of our listeners a final blessing as we conclude our show today? Of course. Uh, may the souls of the faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace, especially our loved ones and all those who are listening. God, have mercy on them and grant them peace this day. And may your perpetual light shine upon them. And may God bless all who are listening today. The Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father, for being on the program today. Uh, if you're listening and you missed any part of the opening portion of the program, of course, the podcast is available. Uh, you'll be able to find that at RelevantRadio.com or through the Relevant Radio app. And I also want to say one more time, thank you so much uh, for your support last week during our pledge drive. We had a need of $2.7 million, and you responded in such generosity. We raised over $3.2 million, more than 14,800 people donating last week. And we're going to be able to send 10% of that off to the relief efforts after the earthquake there in Haiti and uh, helping people as they're dealing with um, just all of, all of the fallout from that. If you missed last week's pledge drive, you can still be a part of it. It's not too late. Our, our uh, phone number to make a pledge, 877-291-0123. You can give online at relevantradio.com or through the Relevant Radio app. And, uh, of course, stay tuned. We've got Mass coming up next. Father Luke Ferris is our celebrant today. And tomorrow, look forward to seeing you back here on The Inner Life. Have a blessed day. <laughs>